0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top
1: real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.
0: Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Curtis Johnson with Curtis Johnson Realty in Gilbert, Arizona. Last year he closed. 268 transactions with a total sales volume of 48 million. His average sales price was 179,000, of which 60% were buyers and 40% were sellers. He operated a team with 13 members seven buyer agents, three administrative assistants, two virtual assistants, and one team leader. Curtis Johnson is the team leader of the Curtis Johnson team. He has been an agent for 14 years. Curtis sold over 2,600 homes in his career. In this call, Curtis talks about selling 10 homes his first year in real estate, how he upped his game and sold 40 homes his second year, learning leverage from Michael Gerber and the E-Myth, realizing that real estate is a lead generation game, what he tests in his Google pay-per-click ads to improve results and reduce costs, why his internet marketing converts three to four times better than average, how he generated over 1,000 seller leads in 90 days from the internet, why he gets three to one ROI from his radio ads, how he charges and earns premium prices for his premium services, video, listing, and buyer presentations that convert, why you should consider being a non-competitive team leader, fast starting as new buyer agents with 50 hours of training videos, gearing up for the future and bringing the staff up to 25 people, plus team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Curtis.
1: Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on.
0: Curtis, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, it's always a, it's always a funny story, I guess. I started, uh, I worked for a real estate attorney before I got in, but right before that I was actually, I sold funeral plans. And so I would uh, help people that did pre-need, we'd sell, you know, caskets and the whole funeral plan and, and so forth like that. And did that for a couple of years. And I think if you can sell death, I think you can sell anything and selling houses is, much more fun and much more exciting and much more lucrative. But that's what I did before I got in.
0: How long did you do that?
1: I did. I was finishing up college and uh, my wife was an accountant at a at a dairy that ended up having some land. And then they turned into a cemetery and built a funeral uh, home with it. And then they're like, hey, you can do sales. So I did that for a couple of years. And then we moved to Arizona and came out here and, and just really wanted to get into real estate. So I worked for a real estate attorney for a little bit and then just decided just to jump in and, and go at it. My wife said, you got 90 days to go sell a house, or so you got to go get a real job. And luckily in that 90 days, went out and sold a house and you know, got the next one and kind of got some, got some momentum going and have just been in it for, I don't know, I guess, uh, 14 years or so.
0: The real estate attorney, what were you doing for
1: him? <laughs> Not much real estate stuff actually it was more trying to take people's property and things like that. People that owed money, he'd have liens on them, and it was actually kind of kind of a sad deal. You know, he would work and people that owed money or whatever, so we'd work on actually trying to liquidate the properties and kind of go in and uh, just wasn't a fun thing. And that's really why I kind of want to jump over into the happier side and. and you know, instead of trying to take people's property and having to sell it and liquidate it, going in and helping buyers find homes and, and uh, sellers, you know, move up and, and so forth like that. And real estate's just been fantastic for me.
0: And while you were talking, I was thinking that the, selling those funeral plans, working for the real estate attorney, the one thing you, you probably gained was empathy, empathy for people in their situations, and I, I assume that served you well.
1: Yeah, you know, it's definitely it's difficult in any type of sales because you always have your own perspective and that's what we always go by. But you really kind of like what you said, you've got to show some empathy. You've got to be able to understand where they're coming from or what is it, Stephen Covey to understand before you can be understood. Kind of going through that, you've got to understand where they're coming from. You've got to hear them, you've got to be able to do that before you can really kind of do your pitch or anything else like that because there is, as much as we like to have a structured environment and what we do here and giving presentations, there is no set presentation, right? There's the bones and the structure of it, but everybody's different. So you've got to understand where their situation is. If somebody's selling a house because they're moving up, that's one thing. They need to be treated a different way. If somebody's losing their home because they're behind on their bills, that's a completely different scenario,
0: Going back to those early days, you said that your wife gave you 90 days to get a home sold or you were going to have to try to do something else. Do you think you had a fast start or a slow start?
1: You know, it felt really slow. The first year I sold, I think I started in February or March, and I sold 10 houses that year. The next year I sold 40, but that first year I sold 10 and... You know, one of the things that I realized going through that was, you know, I was—I didn't really take a day off for the first couple of years. I was working seven days a week, as many hours as I could stay awake. It was back when you could cold call, and, you know, I was just trying to do as many crazy things as I could, walking neighborhoods, and I'd go to apartment complexes and put flyers up on cars or on doors in the night and getting chased by security. And I remember hiding under cars, rolling under cars, trying to get away from security, and you know, trying to do really anything I could to to generate business because I knew I had this this clock, and I knew that you know we had a new baby on the way, and I I knew I needed you know that, and sometimes you really need that you need that emphasis to be able to say hey this is you can't screw around you actually have to do this, so it felt really slow. I mean, I guess you know when most people in the industry are selling three four five houses six houses a year, that you know getting started is always difficult, and I really didn't know what I was doing, but the thing that I did really appreciate was at the end of the first years, realizing that there was people out there selling 10 times, 30 times, 40 times what I was doing, and they weren't working 20, 30, 40 times as long. And so it really made me focus on leverage and learning the things. And so I just spent the next couple of years traveling the world, really trying to meet with the top people and hire the best coaches and try and model the behaviors of people that were you know, really doing fantastic things. And then I was able to come back and be able to do that and then start to grow a team because I really viewed myself very quickly as in the lead generation game and not really not, you know, I I enjoy real estate, but I really see it. I see myself more as a business person than a a real estate agent. Real estate just happens to be the thing that I'm selling. So I really just kind of made it much more like a business than just a, a service, I guess
0: you know, a lot of agents that'll be listening, they're in that first year. You took a big jump from 10 closings your first year to 40 closings your second year. If you can go back with me for a minute, did you start using leverage in that second year? What made the difference between closing 10 and closing 40?
1: It was learning some different things. Probably a few of the things that I, I got better with was time blocking. I became really militant about my time. You know, I would block in appointments. And this is my calling time. This is my appointment time. This is how I do this. I tracked everything meticulously. And I'm not really, I'm kind of more of a big picture. I'm not really a detailed person, but I knew that to do well at this, I had to focus on the details. And so in spite of kind of wanting to jump at the next shiny object or or anything else like that, I really focused on the details and really, really got into the, the nuts and bolts of Of time blocking and I blocked out pretty much almost my entire day. This is when I would call cancel expired. This is when I would call, you know, past clients or actually didn't have any past clients, but sphere. This is when I would walk neighborhoods. This is when I'd knock doors. This is when I'd do listing appointments, even if I didn't have them. Here's when I would show property. I would would block those all out. And then my incentive was that if I didn't have an appointment, if I, you know, it got to be four o'clock and I was supposed to be at a listing appointment or working with buyers at that time, if I didn't have it, then I just got to go do more calling. And so my incentive was to do good during my calling to set those appointments so that that would be the payoff. The payoff was to go be with people and sell houses. So that was probably one of the biggest jumps at the end of the second year is when I started to build a team with that, but probably time blocking was a huge thing for me.
0: You've been in the business now for 14 years. Let's uh, move forward in time. How many homes did you sell last year?
1: Last year, I think we sold uh, about 270 or so, right around 50 million in volume. We've kind of been there the last two or three years, right about there. Maybe three years back, I think we sold uh, 339. So we've been right around 300 for the last uh, few years, and right around between 45 and 60 million. In our market here in, in the Phoenix metro area, market's tanked pretty good over the last six, seven years. It you know, it just kinda of went into free fall. It's starting to come back now. But most people got out and started working with REOs and you know, working with banks or they kinda of went out of business. Most people, you know, did one or the other. Working with REOs wasn't in our wasn't in our mission statement. It wasn't that, you know, I didn't get into this business to you know, take orders from a bank on how to shuffle papers or whatever. It just wasn't a, wasn't a match. We had a couple of contracts with them for a few weeks. We didn't like the way that they, they worked it or treated. And we just said, you know what, if this is what it has to be, even though 85% of the market's distressed, we're just going to focus on that 15%. We're going to really go after it or work short sales on our own or, or whatever. And, you know, we really had to fight through that. So we're really excited about the market kind of coming back to being a really competitive market and, going after that. And, you know, so we've gone from right now, we've got about 25 people on our team. Last year, we had about 10, 12 agents with that. So we've doubled in the last about, you know, 90 days or so. And so we expect uh, some pretty big numbers over the next year, two years, three years. And we expect to be able to do a lot, a lot of volume.
0: In those dark days when the market was falling apart there in Phoenix, I know that your values fell quite a bit. How far did they fall from the top to the bottom?
1: depending on what numbers you look at our average sale price got up around 320 330 what we were selling i think the market the median or average i think it was it was right around 280 or so it got got pretty far up there and then it dropped all the way down to i think 108 which is pretty devastating you know to take about the drop 60 60 or so to you know everybody you dealt with was difficult as the prices were dropping sellers they never thought the prices were dropping that low and, and buyers, you know, say, well, why would I buy today when I can wait a week and they'll be cheaper, you know, or why do I even want to buy at all? So there was obviously challenges and different things with that. So the market dropped quite a bit, you know, and then banks would come in and even the, the commissions that you had left, they would try to take a piece of that and stuff like that. So we, we really had to do some pretty creative things to try and stay afloat and also to, to be able to exceed and, and excel. Now they're back up. They've they've bounced back up into the you know high 160s, 170, into that range, and and we're starting to dig out of the uh, distressed market, which is really good.
0: When the market starts to collapse and fall apart, how low did your production go well, in the last five, maybe five, six, seven years ago? Did your production fall off, or were you still able to sell two, three, four homes a year?
1: I think we maybe dropped down to. 240 or so but for the most part we've been you know between 240 and 340 uh, right in there throughout that whole time you know and actually even probably going into it we were maybe at around 180 so as we kind of built it up and as the market peaked we were able to to still do that which you know we had to it it was much more difficult to do no doubt about it and it was a, a lot of a lot of heartache and a lot of agents that you know had to work harder for less and and, you know, it just wasn't a good situation for everybody else, but it's kind of one of those things that if you take a piece of paper, I guess, and it's a nice fresh piece of paper and you crumple it all up and then you kind of try to straighten it back out, it's never going to go back to the exactly the way it was. And that's kind of how we were. It's once you get up to, you know, once you learn how to sell 30 houses, you know how to do that. Right. And, and like, and I would, those first couple of years, I got up to 40 and then 70 and then 100 and 110 150 as you start to go back you change and you it becomes so much easier to do the things that you used to think were impossible not because the nature of the thing becomes easier but because your ability to be able to handle it changes so even when things got bad you know we definitely did, took a hit but you've also learned lessons as you've gone through that the, to that still kind of uh buoy you up a little bit and kind of help push you so once you've learned those lessons you got to keep them so if you're selling 10 houses right now those are the same lessons that are going to help you once you get up to 30 or 40 you're going to need to learn new lessons when you get there because it's a different animal to be it's a different way to sell 50 houses you know than 100 or than 200 and 300 but it's one of those cool things that once you learn those lessons they get to keep going with you.
0: I'm sorry to be staying back here, but I'm trying to see if there's a lesson to be learned. Your market fell by 60%. I assume there are very few sellers because most people are underwater. You stayed in the retail side of the business. How'd you do that? Did you shift over to doing more buyer transactions? What was your strategy? You know, if this market were to happen again in five or seven years, what kind of lesson did you learn that you would employ that strategy?
1: Probably the biggest thing that we did, and probably one of the things I'm more well known for across the country, of taught different classes and seminars and different things like that, was as, as the market was dropping. When you're trying to make money, let's say you've got a store, you're a clothing store. How do you make money? What can you do? Well, there's really only just a few ways to be able to do it, right? You can you could raise the prices. So if you were selling something for 30 and you wanted to sell it for 40, you could you could make more money. You could lower your costs. So either renegotiate your rent or buy the the shirts cheaper or something like that. So you can lower your cost to be able to do it, or you can sell more of them, right? Instead of selling one shirt, you sell two shirts or anything else like that. So they're kind of the same thing in our market. So we could say, okay, so what are the, what are the ways we can do this? Well, we could try to help our investors buy multiple houses, and we did that with, with some people. We couldn't change the price because the actual price was just dropping, right? That was... As much as we'd like to think that we could control it, we couldn't control the price. The price was in a free fall, but we could change. We said, well, what if we had to go about this a little bit different? And what if we could change what we charge, right? The market doesn't always dictate what you can charge. So we really changed the way that we did things that we we charged a premium for our services. We gave a premium experience to our clients. We did a great job. We marketed. We, we just did an amazing job with it, but then we charged a premium for it. And so that's what we did is people hired us. We charged them a premium. And so that kind of offset as the prices were dropping because our you know the volume dropped as well. And that's kind of one of the ways that, that we stayed with it. Plus, we've always been probably about 60, 40 buyers over sellers. And I know most teams or, or whatever are or usually, you know, 70, 30 sellers. But one of the best ways we found to be able to get listings is by working with buyers. So just something we've just always been really good at is working with buyers and we tend to work with more buyers than sellers, which was one of the things that kind of helped us get through this because we still did take some sellers, but most of the sellers in our market were banks at that time. And so if that's what you did, it was a pretty difficult time for you.
0: Well, you brought up a topic that I'm very interested in. You mentioned this premium pricing. Tell us more about what you mean by charging a premium. We can't talk about the commissions themselves, but I assume you're charging more than your competitors. How are you justifying that? How do you make that work? How do you sell that to the the client or customer?
1: You've got to kind of come from a place of what ifs. What if, Mike, let's say you were an agent and you were an agent, and I was the only broker in town, and you had to work for me. And if you wanted to feed your family, you had to follow all my rules. And I said, okay, Mike, here's the deal. You can work for me, but you can only charge a – I'm just going to pull a number. Let's say you can only charge 15% commission, okay, 15%. And you said, well, the rest of the market's only charging five or six or seven or who knows whatever number they're going to charge. How can I charge twice or three times as much or, or whatever, And as soon as you're forced to say, well, that's the way it is, you've got to figure it out, what would you do, right? So let's say you're, you know, working with a seller, would you, I mean, you you can come up with a lot of crazy things, right? You can say, well, well, if I was going to do that with the seller, you know, maybe we've got a, a concierge program or maybe we pick them up in a limousine and we drive them here or they get, you know, whatever it is. And so you can start to build packages based on whatever you need that number to come out with. And at each stage in that, you can build in profit. So that's kind of the thought process. What we really did is we really looked at it and we said, well, you're buying an experience. You're buying a result with this. You're not just, you know, you could hire anybody for blank amount or whatever. And we created on the buyer side, a 47 step home discovery and acquisition method. On the seller side, we, we built an 89 step no risk home sale. So we built those out and that we made those exclusive to our brokerage, right? We made those exclusive to my team. And so if you want to get these results, here's what our fee is. And then we just did it like that. So that was, it's really a lot less complicated than what people want to make it out to be. With people are going to hire us, you know, just kind of like an attorney, there's a uh, retainer, they can retain our services and we can go to work for them. So we really just kind of look at, look at it a lot different than just your traditional real estate agent out there. And I think that's always the smartest thing. It doesn't matter really what you do. You've got to stand out and be different. And you know, I think one of the best things you could do is look to see what everybody else is doing and do the exact opposite.
0: You've created a, a premium experience and then you're going to charge a premium fee. You mentioned you have these 47 steps for a buyer and 89 steps for a seller. What are those steps? Give us a little more detail
1: the different ones, we really kind of gone through and created videos for it and uh, sales folders and a lot of different things to really kind of present it. A lot of it's about the presentation. And on the buyer side, most people on the buyer side, they might have a consultation with an agent, but for the most part, it's usually they just show up at the house, open the door, and, you know, hey, my fax machine's better than your fax machine, my lockbox key is better than your lockbox key. There's not a lot of differentiation between agents. And so we give the buyer agents on our team just something to really kind of be able to separate ourselves. And We really break down initially going through the situation in the environment, situation in the market. Let's talk about this local market and really kind of diving into that, then breaking down, going through availability of homes, their ability to be able to buy it then we can really break down our system. How is that different? How do we, when we're touring houses, what questions are we asking? What, what are we looking for as we're walking around the house? Are we, are we looking at the cupboards and, you know, the cutout of the cabinets? Just an upper-end upper cabinet is a lower-end cabinet. What about the corners of the room? How is it set up? What about the padding in the carpet? All these different things that we inherently as agents typically do but almost never say anything to the client about, we go through and we try and bring these to light and we try and say, okay, when we do this and then when we've targeted and we've gone in on a home, then we'll go back and we'll do some more research to really kind of make sure that we're positioning our offer really strong in that by grabbing information from, you know, whether it's the internet, whether it's uh, several other different places, we'll gather more data so that we can have a better a better presentation. And then when we present it, how are we presenting that to the other to the other agent? Is it just something we fax over? Or how can we separate ourselves and be different in these in these different ways? So we really just kind of go through at a micro level, breaking down each one of these different sections and then as we do that, presenting that to the client. And it can seem a little bit overwhelming and we really kind of want that. Because when buyers typically come in Buyers don't believe they need agents. The only reason they believe n- they need agents, it used to be just for the MLS, for the price, the data, and to get them in the house. Now that they've almost got more data than agents in most cases. So now they just look at agents, and, in a lot of cases, it's just a nuisance to open the door. And so until in you can change that and really make yourself the professional and kind of put that back in alignment, you're going to struggle with it. And then on the listing side, we kind of kind of go through a lot of the same things as well, and breaking down the benefits of working with our company, the different stages of negotiation, and how are the calls handled? Because it's not just good enough to get, a, get someone that's interested in your house. You have to be able to take that lead and then be able to convert it to an appointment and then actually be a, into a showing and then into an offer. And that's an art form as well. But most people never even discuss and walk them through that process. They just say, oh, we're just going to sell your house, or we we market. But if you can show the gaps and what they've also, you know, hey, now when you met with people, they probably didn't tell you about this. And if you're bringing up something that they didn't know and you're teaching them, it gives you a, a, a foothold uh, to be able to do that and really kind of be able to separate yourself.
0: It sounds like you're you're really focusing on educating the client or the customer, and educating them not only in the process, but how you're going to help them walk through that process. You're giving them a big picture. Are your listing and buyer presentations longer than the average agent? How long are you spending on an average listing presentation or buyer presentation?
1: Yeah, they're, they're probably a little bit longer. About five or six years ago, we had so many appointments that I went through and I videotaped myself giving a presentation and clients would just come in and watch... Watch me do a video of it, and it actually started working well, and our conversion was still really high. They went through and did a lot more professional job with it and breaking down all these different things so that the agents here now can they can go through and have them watch, depending on the situation, we've got different videos for different things. it can be anywhere between you know twenty minutes and an hour video going through some of the different stuff, and then the team member can go through and answer whatever questions they've got as they go through this uh, to make sure that they're connecting with them, making sure they're answering their questions, and making sure that they're still engaged throughout that process. And after a few thousand appointments with them, we've figured out what works and what doesn't, what's going to give a good conversion, what's not, and then also what's going to have a client that's really tied into us. So it's a lot different, but once again, I'm a non-competing team leader. I don't take out the best leads and... Sift them and sort them or whatever, anything else like that. So all the leads go to my team for them to be able to work. But what I didn't want and what was happening in some cases were some people would come in and they'd meet with someone for a little bit and maybe they wouldn't sign or anything else like that. And I'd say, okay, well, what did they say when you talked to them about this? Well, I forgot to go over that. Okay, what about this? Oh, I forgot to go over that too. And so you kind of give and take a lot of things in your business that we as humans we're always going to we're always going to fail. We're always going to be imperfect. So even if I went out today and I, if I had five listing appointments today, they wouldn't all five be the same. I wouldn't cover the same information. I would try and do my best, but you just can't. And so when you automate some of that process, when you go through in a video and you make sure that it's systematic, and it's touching the different personality styles as you go through, you can make sure that that if if that seller is not going to hire you, at least you've given them all the information. You've presented it in the best way possible, and that you as the team leader have given them the best experience you can possibly do, that that sales is a transference of feeling. And so often, they're going to believe your confidence or not. And so when I go through the videos, I feel like I'm pretty confident on the videos, and I can go through and they can understand that versus maybe if you've got a newer agent or someone that's having a bad day or something else like that, that's going to come across. And so by doing a video, we found that you're able to give a pretty close to the same experience each time. And it's going to be able to get them their information in the quickest amount of time and, and set you up for success the best way possible. And I've trained a lot of people across the country to be able to do this. And a lot of, a lot of the people that I've taught they're having as much or even in some cases even better success than I'm having with it and i think it's i think it's the future of what's going to happen in real estate that if you can make it and still be able to connect with them that's really what they want they want to be somewhat entertained as they go through ideally they don't want it very long but it's only long if it's boring
0: sounds to me if i'm understanding correctly that when your agents go out for a listing presentation or a buyer presentation the agent is not making the entire presentation. It sounds like they're showing a video of you talking about the topic to the client or customer. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, and I'd say the majority of our appointments are in our office here. Um, A few years back, we had about 95% of all of our appointments in office. And it was part of it because we just said, okay, that's it. If you want to work with us, if you want to meet with us, it's going to be in our office. That's it. We've since we've loosened that a little bit and, you know, I think probably too much, but we still have, I'd say probably 65, 70% of the appointments are still in our office. And so just like if you were going to work with an attorney, you're probably going to go to the attorney's office. If you're going to go to a doctor, you're going to go to the doctor's office. If you're going to go see a professional, you typically go there and you go there prepared to do business. If you go to someone's home, you're on their turf, on their schedule, you're having the dog bark at you, you got the TV in the background, you got grandma calling on the phone, you got someone stopping by. Here we can control the environment, we can control the experience to a greater extent to be able to do that. But going back to your original point, that's exactly right. So they come in, they build rapport with the agent, the agent explains why this is in their best interest to go through and watch a quick video going through this. And then a periodic point throughout that, they're able to stop and discuss the points, answer questions, and then they keep going through and it goes all the way through to me actually closing for the sale on that because so often an agent will hear a sad story will hear somebody tell all the reasons why this wouldn't work or they can't do this and so they will they will just not close they will not ask for the order they won't ask for these things and an agent could still you know pause the video they could stop and they could still get around it and People are going to do what they're going to do, what they're going to feel comfortable with. But for the most part, it does the heavy lifting for the agent to make sure that the same experience happens. And then the agent's really set up as the expert at the end of that. The video and so forth is the Formula One car and the agent's the driver. So they're the ones that are most important at that point.
0: You've really been able to leverage yourself through video. You don't have to go on all the listing presentations anymore, and yet you're still in the room.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. I haven't. I haven't worked with a client. Um, well, I mean, I guess two clients in the last probably eight years. I did one. Really good friend of mine. I just. I hadn't seen him for a while. and I wanted to stop by, and I went with somebody. It just essentially just to see him. But I went on the appointment. And then another, another one was a professional athlete that I really wanted to meet and stuff like that. And they came, He came in, and I did that appointment. But that's pretty much it. The last uh, probably eight years. So I'm like I said. I'm non competing team leader, I, I don't really get involved in that. But this still gives me a way to connect with them. Over time, people on your team leave, they go and they move on. But there's still somewhat of a connection with me. And so it's not just with that agent, there, there's still ways that you can really build that connection and still leverage yourself.
0: On these listing and buyer presentations, they're pretty heavily video oriented. What's the closing percent,
1: you know, the the closing percentage are still still has a lot to do with the agent at the end of it because everything is about congruence because I can go through and, and you know, talk about these different things, and then at the end of it, you know, when they ask a question, they go through this. If the agent's confidence level isn't quite the same, something seems a little off, seems, you know, hey, this just doesn't quite make sense to me. How come he said this, but I'm not sure I'm 100% on board with this or that or whatever. So, I mean, some of our agents have, you know, closing percentages, and once again, we're we're not the cheapest uh, shop in town. So there's going to be a 10, 12 percent of people that are strictly going to hire you based on price. We're not going to get those. So, you know, you still have some people here that are, their closing percentage are close close to 85 percent, and you've got other ones that are closer to 55 percent. So, depending on buyers or sellers, depending on the source of the lead or wherever, uh, we're pretty comfortable in the sixty five percent range. I think that's a that's a pretty good place for us to be that it's a sweet spot that we're still able to charge what we want. We're still pretty comfortable with that. But we don't want every client either. You know, we turn down we turn down a good ten percent of the people because they're just not a good fit for what we're looking to do.
0: Now, you've mentioned you, you charge this premium. We obviously don't want to talk about commissions and commission rates, but when you say a premium, how much more are you charging than the next guy? And What I mean by that is are you charging twice as much or three times as much or ten times as much? Uh, could you give us some kind of perspective?
1: You know, we, we give a lot of flexibility. It just depends on how bad we want the client. If the situation, we, we examine every situation and we see – what are they doing right let's just, let's take a seller, for instance. Are they overpricing it? Is it in a place that's going to sell or that it's not what's the what's the price point right and And we take all those different things into it and factor that in so there there isn't necessarily one specific fee or something like that. We've sold when things were in the tank we've we've sold several houses that were under twenty five thousand dollars. And we've been paid $5,000 just to, as a retainer, just to take them. And then 6% or 7% at the end of it, we've also taken other situations and, you know, so I don't know what the commission percentage is on that, 30% or something like that. And we've taken other ones for a lot less. So every situation's different. I would say, based on our market and based on stuff, there's there's people in our market that We'll do stuff for one percent up to, you know, seven, eight, nine percent, and I would say we're at the top end of everything.
0: Well let's do this. Let's switch gears for a minute. Let's let's talk about marketing and lead generation. Could you list out the different ways that you're marketing and generating leads?
1: We definitely want to do a lot of things. I'll tell you a quick story about that. So it's probably I'd probably been in the business maybe three years or four years or so and I had a contract with, it was a magazine called Harmon Homes. And like when I first started, I got a page, I don't know, back on like page 30 or something like that. And I just kept begging to get closer up and closer up. And, and so fast forward a couple of years, I think I had pages two, three, four, five, and six in the back cover of this. And we were just crushing it. We were just dominating with it. You know, it was just, and it was probably 90% of our business. And everything was going great. And I remember just driving to the car one day and got a call from the rep and they said, Hey, just wanna let you know, you know, this was just covering mostly the East Valley in the Phoenix area. I said, Hey, just wanna let you know, we're expanding, we're going valley wide, this is a great thing and I was like, Okay, so tell me how that's gonna work and they said, Well, we're gonna essentially put everything in one magazine and we're kinda of start because they had they had separate magazines, two or three or four magazines, and we're gonna combine everything into one. And essentially now you're going to get more exposure. But what also happened was no one had any type of premium position and we would be back on, you know, way back in the magazine because they were going to do it by, I don't know, Scottsdale first or West Side or whatever, but it was like back 60 pages or something like that. And so I remember just the sinking feeling thinking, oh my gosh, you know, that whole story, all of your eggs in one basket. And that's exactly what I did. And I said, you know what, that'll never happen to me again. So I definitely believe in a a balanced kind of portfolio approach to to lead generation. We do a lot on the radio. We used to do a lot on TV, not as much anymore because we can do it so much more cost effective on the internet. We do very, very little print anymore. We still do a lot of flyers. We still do very well off sign calls and sign writers and flyers, but we just really, really dominate the internet in, you know, Craigslist is still good. It's, pretty much overrun in a lot of cases in our market now, but we still do very well with that in generating free leads, SEO traffic, but we really just dominate. There's so many different niches in pay-per-click that we've really focused on that pretty dramatically and both going after buyers and we've also got some really strategies to go after listings and, and so forth and being able to really go after listings pretty hard on the internet with that as well.
0: Let's jump into a few of those. Let's start with the internet ads. They seem to be working really well. you you talked about your pay per click. You've got buyers and sellers. Let's start with the pay per click on the buyers. You said you have different places that you're advertising strategies. Give us kind of a big picture of what you're doing with your pay per click buyer side.
1: You know, you've got to make sure it's going to a, a place that converts well. A partner uh, of I that you're you're familiar with, Don Winter. I think he interviewed him uh, recently, and uh, he's a great agent back in Pennsylvania. Really, really great friend of mine. We've been working and we've developed a, uh, some websites and different things that convert like crazy for both buyers and sellers. And, and so when you drive traffic to it, it has to be able to have something that converts. You know, Most people, most real estate websites are converting in the one, two, even 3% in some cases. Most of our sites are converting 8 to 13%, 14%. And so you've got to be able to have something that, that captures them, that does a good job with that. And then you've got to go out and obviously be able to find, okay, well, where are the best, highest converting buyers coming from? And obviously, Google is a, a big deal. You could spend all your time just doing Google pay-per-click and, and driving that in. But you know, we've got some pretty detailed campaigns that I've developed over time and that I've, I've built out that get us really, really great results. It takes a lot of time to build them out, but we've got some really great campaigns with that. And then once once we've dialed that in, you can take that out to Bing and Yahoo. And then even further, we've got some other different networks that we can go and, and buy second band traffic from a lot of other different places, other real estate sites and so forth. So we're able to really go out and target places that most people can't just because of the volume that we do. So 90 plus percent of all buyers and sellers are going to the internet and you have to be where they're at. You've got to have a compelling message to drive them back and then be able to capture them. If you don't either dominate the internet or you work with someone that does, it's just a matter of time. This business will beat you up because it's like trying to be out in a rainstorm and try and stay dry with no umbrella. You could try to dodge the bullets, but eventually you're just going to get wet. And the same thing here is We do work a lot of past clients, probably not as good as we should, but if you don't have a way to be able to drive in new business and and new businesses, for the most part on the internet, it's just going to be a a nightmare. It's just going to be a struggle in the real estate, especially going forward. It's only going to become a bigger and bigger problem.
0: You said that you have a a really high converting page. We'll forget about traffic for a minute, but let's assume we've got some traffic that comes in, They, they hit a page on your website. Why are you getting such higher conversion rates? What are you doing that's different than everybody else?
1: Part of it's the experience. You've got to be able to give them the information quickly. But one of the biggest things is when you're doing pay-per-click or anything else like that, you've got to drive them back to a place that's relevant. So if we run an ad that says, gated Scottsdale homes with pools, okay? Now, and we put that in the right spot, and you click on that, and you come back to farmland in Maricopa, how how excited are you going to be, and how quickly are you going to click off that? Pretty quick, right? <laughs> it's because it's not relevant. But at the same point, if we run that, and you happen to be looking for a gated Scottsdale home with a pool, and you get there, and there's eight houses there, you're going to be pretty interested in that. And so even when that conversion comes through, it's going to be a very highly targeted lead that's going to come through. And so those are just some of the basics with it and making sure that they're coming to a place that is relevant to them. And over time, the better your conversion numbers do, the more relevant people click on it and they quickly click off. Google actually will just charge you more money. And you say people go, oh, they don't charge you more money, but they actually do because if they don't have a good experience on there, your your rates will go up dramatically. And so the better you can target and go in there, and I know a lot of people in real estate want to kind of go the cheap way and say, hey, let me handle this myself. And, and if you get really good, you should. But if you started today and you ran an ad and I ran an ad and you didn't have a, a good track record, you'd be paying substantially more than I would. And so by doing that, you're able to get better rates. And over time, you're able to attract more leads at a better cost, and that's really what you're trying to do is get your cost cost per lead acquisition down so that it can help you attract more leads, grow your team, and, and be able to do all those things.
0: So there has to be a congruence between the ad and the landing page and what people are seeing, that they're finding what they were looking for. Let's talk about that landing page. What is on it? You said pictures, uh, you gave the example of uh, gated homes in Scottsdale with pools. How many properties are you showing them on that landing page and how are you turning that experience from looking at these homes into giving you their contact information?
1: A couple of different questions there. So, sometimes I'll I'll go with my wife to the mall if I'm bored and we'll go walk around and sometimes we go by like this little pretzel area and I'm not even thinking about a pretzel. Don't really care about it, but all of a sudden you walk by and it smells good, and there's some lady with a funny hat handing you a little sample, and guess what I want to do? I want to buy a pretzel. <laughs> and so that's kind of what you kind of get it, have to give people a little taste of it. And then once they see it, they're like, you know what, I do like that. I, okay, this is, this is a good trade. I'll give you my name and my email, my phone number in exchange for you letting me use this information. And so that's one of the ways that we capture it, is you give them a, a small taste, and there's metrics on how much they should be able to get and, and, and so forth like that. But that's one of the biggest ways that we're able to capture it. But for buyers, buyers don't care about me. They don't care about, they don't care about the person behind it. They care about the homes. Once they've found the home or they found something that they're interested in, then they want to make sure that you're professional and you do a great job for them, but you've got to do it in the right order. You've got to make sure that buyers are getting the homes and then, then everything about you is secondary on the seller side what do they want? They want to know what their neighbor sold for. They want to know what their house would probably sell for. And they want to know what you charge. Okay, So there's different, different ways and different strategies for driving that. We also do a lot of radio with endorsements from Glenn Beck, Sean Hannity, John Tesh, some other different people to give endorsements. And so when they come in, they go to sites that are specifically about that. You know, so probably have a picture of Glenn Beck on there. Also, they can find the value of their house and some different things like that. So you want to make sure that everything's about being relevant. And it's kind of a pain. You've got to be able to do some work or have some some people do work for you. But that's really what the Internet is, is that there isn't just one message for everybody. And that's one of the benefits of having a team is that you want to have more options for people. Are you familiar with Michael Gerber, the e-myth? Sure. Yeah, I mean, just a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, I'd encourage everyone to go read that. So I spent a lot of time with him, and one of the things that he said that was really was really profound in my life is he said, "There's no such thing as a successful small business." And my initial reaction is to fight him and to say, "Well, that's not true" or, or anything else like that. But he said, "Well, think about it. If it was a successful small business, what would it be?" I'd say, "Well, it would be a larger business." And he goes, "You're right. So there's no, there's no." such thing as a successful small business. Because if it was successful, it would grow. It would grow to its nature. It would grow and be able to do that. And so if you grow a team, one of the things that you can do is the more volume you do and the bigger you can get, not just in in people size and everything else, but you're able to, to give more options. You're able to put more money into marketing. You're able to get more resources and have more niche markets and segments and going out there versus if you're just a a one person or two people, you're spending all your time selling a house. You don't have time to be a a web developer and doing all these other different things. So you have to be able to have money to be able to do these things. So as you're doing this, maybe you're just the beginning of your career, don't rob yourself of the experience of going through it because it's a lot of fun and you might not want a big team, that's fine. But you need to surround yourself with great coaches or great people or, or listen to the best and leverage off them because nobody succeeds alone. Nobody does it. You've, you've got to be able to bring in people and either you have to write the check or somebody else does to be able to give this experience to other, to other people in this real estate side.
0: Let's do this. Let's go back to that landing page. I can't get my mind off of that. Could you describe for us the experience for the buyer when they come into your landing page, what are they seeing, and how does it transition to a point where they're giving you their contact information? How does that process work?
1: Kind of going back with it, we don't just have one web one page. So just like if you were a commercial fisherman, you wouldn't just have one line in the water, right? If you ever watch any of those crabbing shows up from Alaska or anything else like that, what do they do? They go out and they put all their all their pots out there for the crabs and they put all those and then they go back around and they clean them all up. If you only have one website, that's fine. You're just you're just missing out on so much. So we've got a lot of different websites based on different things. So the the squeeze pages and different things, some they'll go to with a the map. They'll have a map and the houses on there. Some other ones will just have houses vertically, some will have them horizontally, some will have bigger pictures, some will have smaller We've got luxury sites. We've got sites that are just for golf and different things. And we have all this just for a push of the button in the back of our system that we have because you don't need to spend all day doing this thing, right? There's people that have gone before us that have figured these things out. But if you want to be able to be relevant in, in real estate, you have to be able to put relevant stuff in front of them, right? If, if I'm a buyer and if I was an agent, I was searching for something, I'd be searching for a certain area with certain characteristics in a house and if I just land on your basic web page and it's just got a big picture of you, I just don't care. I just don't care at that point. I need to be able to find things that are relevant to me. And you know, that's why we put a lot of those different things out there. It works better from Craigslist, it works better from a lot of different things. But as they see the houses, they're able to quickly be able to search through them with the way that we populate the pages kind of like with Ajax loaders and different things like that so that The pictures load really quick without them having to go click on more stuff or go to other pages and lose them, but then when they want more details of it and they click directly into the house, they're able to see one, two, or three houses and then have a forced registration if they want more details on these different things. Ah,
0: okay. Okay, so they can see a whole bunch of homes. Once they try to start digging down into the details, they may see one or two that way, but at some point it's going to say, hey, to continue, you'll need to register with us, and then we'll happily show you all these details. That's the transition point.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: Very good. I understand now. And you mentioned that earlier, but I just want to confirm, what information do you want when they do the registration? What what have you found is the the minimum that you need and has the highest conversion rate?
1: Well, we ask for everything. We ask for name, email, and phone number. Uh, Those are the biggest things for us. Our system automatically picks up their IP address, you know, which city where they're from, what's going on, what they've looked at, and it picks up different stuff like that. But we mostly just want name, email, phone number. You know, people can still put in bogus stuff, and we've got kind of these protectors and different things like that to try to make it more difficult for them to be able to do it. We've got some strategies with that as, as well. But we're still able to get higher 75%, 80% good information, which which on the Internet is almost unheard of. So there's got to be a reason for them to give good information. But I know that there's a lot of places that won't make you register. Then there's a lot of other ones that will just say, well, just put in your email address. Because people on the Internet want to be anonymous, right? They like the anonymity of it. But we also found that if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. So we're big on follow-up with this and and contact, talking to people face-to-face or on the phone as well. And it's pretty difficult just behind an email.
0: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Have you tried it the other way? Did you try it without forced registration? Oh, yeah. What was the difference between forced and the unforced?
1: The leads are going to be much, much higher quality if you force registration. So like if, let's say you get 100 leads with forced registration, you're going to probably end up with five, four or five if you don't have forced. If it's just, okay, we'll put in your information if you like it, if you want to contact me or something like that. And now, those few leads, you're, you're going to get either way, whether you force it or whether you don't. So you're going to get those same leads. You're just also going to get... 96 or 97 other leads that out of those you're going to get 20 25 that are going to be pretty good as well. So you're just missing out on all those if you don't do force registration. But there's so many other people that will force registration too early in the process and they haven't given haven't given that taste, right? Just like the the pretzel, they haven't given that taste. They just say hey, do you want to buy this? No, not really not don't really want to buy it. But as soon as you've given that taste, it makes a lot more sense.
0: You mentioned there are all these different ways that you're now getting traffic to that landing page. You mentioned a lot of pay-per-click methods. It sounded like you test out things on Google and then you expand into other search engines such as Yahoo and, and other ways to distribute that information. What have you found is, say, the the top couple of ways that that's working with your pay-per-click are are you doing text ads? Are you doing display ads? What are you putting in the text that's working well? You know, give us some some ideas of what's the best way to make that work.
1: Text ads are going to be the best and they're the easiest to be able to do and to test quicker. In the right situation, we've done a lot of image ads and pictures and stuff like that, but surprisingly, the things that actually convert the best are text in pictures. So it's in the picture section. So they're image ads, but they actually, it's text. So it's just type. It just looks like type, but it's actually image ads. Those actually pull very well as well.
0: Could you just give us an example of what some of the text that you have in the ads that are doing well?
1: You know, the, the thing that you learn as you as you do this is that you have to stay out of judgment on everything. So we'll start with in most cases, you know, 25 to 125 different ads for different stuff. It's different from city to city. It's different from market to market that some things pull really, really well in some little neighborhoods and stuff and other things pull better in others. So the one constant I know is that there is no constant. And when people say they've got real estate figured out, you've got to be able to have a set of tools to pull from. You've got to be able to have the ads, and you've got to be able to have the different things. But some things just don't work in some markets, some cities, in some areas, versus other things that do really, really well. And so what you've got to be able to do is you've got to be able to quickly see what's working and what's not, narrow it down, and then you can be able to reinvest your money into the things that really do work, and that's where the big payoff is. But almost everybody that will try either internet marketing or... Almost anything will test it, and they'll go, oh, it just doesn't work. Where you've got, to just te- you've got to be able to test a lot. You know, that's just part of what the game is. You've got to be able to test a lot. But then once you find out what works, then you just wash and repeat, wash and repeat, wash and repeat. And that's where the money's at.
0: So there's a lot of experimentation. When you're putting together your 25 to 125 different models, I assume you're just changing one word at a time. Yes. But you must have a basic structure. You mentioned it before, I think, skeleton and bones to your ads. What's your basic structure? Are you mentioning a name of a subdivision? Are you talking about a specific home or a list of homes? What kind of things are you testing?
1: All of the above. Mostly the, the city's the, the biggest one. You know, a lot of people will have the city in the headline, but if you put the city two or three times, throughout it in in a natural sentence, you know, because Google doesn't give you very much room and most people are pretty similar to that. Most people they'll change out the name in the headline and then they won't use it again. But if you use it multiple times, what happens is Google will actually go through and if it's your if it's a keyword, because most people are going to be searching homes homes for sale in Charlotte. Okay? Or whatever, homes for sale in Phoenix. And if you use the exact word, then it actually bolds in your ad, and it stands out, and then it will raise your click-through percentage on on everything else. So they're most likely going to be searching with the city. That's what almost everybody does. They use Chandler Homes for Sale, Chandler Foreclosures, Chandler FISBOs or whatever it might be. So if you use that and you know that you're going to hit on the city, you want to use that in multiple places throughout the ad as well, And then ideally, you want to ideally going to a site that, you know, curtisjohnson.com forward slash Chandler or whatever. So that once again, they see that it's relevant. They see that, oh, you know what? Hey, this is the right spot. I'm not just going to a a front page of a site or anything else like that, but I'm going to the right spot.
0: You mentioned that you're also using pay-per-click to generate seller leads. And to me, that sounds a little unusual how have you been able to pull that off? How does that system work?
1: Well, it's kind of a newer thing that we developed, kind of a getting a value of your home, but then there's some kind of nuances with it as well. And we really just dialed in our pay-per-click campaign on that, and we've mostly just been really buyer-heavy over you know the last 13, 14 years. But obviously, sellers are where it's at. You know, like I said, one of my partners, Don he's in most cases getting a hundred listings a month with the strategy that we've been developing. And we just started putting it into place here in my market. And we've developed over like the last three months, we've generated over a thousand seller leads and we've been able to take more listings about two or three times as many listings as we normally do. And this right now in our market, we've had I think three of the lowest listing months so far this year that have been on record. So, the, the inventory is almost non-existent here. People are just not listing their houses because of how fast the prices are going up. So it's really difficult to get listings. So it's kind of a, it's kind of hard to tell exactly how good it's doing or how good it would do in a normal market. But the ones that we've tested it so far, it's been crushing. And here, we've been able to generate tons and tons of seller leads with this system. That's been going really, really well. It's not like a come list me call where you're gonna get ninety percent of those or something like that. It's more like a buyer lead that, you know, you're trying to get thirteen to fifteen percent to appointments and stuff like that. You know, on these seller leads we're getting about fifteen to twenty percent setting up appointments and it's it's just been amazing for us. We're just so, so excited about it.
0: Let's do like we did with the buyer side. Let's break that down a little bit. We'll come back to how you're getting the seller there. But once a a seller lead comes in, what does the landing page look like? It's not going to be a list of homes like the buyer side. What's on the seller side?
1: It's instantvalueonline.com. I mean, they could take a look at it right there. But it's really just kind of a very, it's as simple as it can be. We can swap out the background picture to match whatever. We've got a lot of niches. So if we're doing a golf one, we can put a golf course behind it or anything else like that. And then based on just a pretty simple, you know, there's actually a lot of different sites that are starting to come out with ones that are somewhat similar to it. And the thing that makes ours a little bit different is that they can go in, put in their address and find out what homes have sold for in that area. But when they get done, what happens is it shows them an actual list of buyers that we actually have in that area with some of their information redacted, but it will show them buyer, actual buyers that we have in that area that are looking to buy a home. And it's legitimate buyers that we actually have because we have so many buyers. And, and that's really what a seller is really trying to do. And then it, there's another button there for them to say, Hey, which, are you interested to find out what your home would sell for in today's market or getting a cash offer on your home? So it's kind of one more step instead of just find the value of your home, Yes, we get those, but so many other people want to take that next step and say, well, I'm, I'm pretty interested what what my home would sell for in today's market or uh, what one of these buyers maybe would consider.
0: So you're using a, a free CMA like we've been doing forever, but you've added this extra element where they're able to see these buyers, this pool of buyers that you're working with. You're not just telling them you have a pool of buyers. You're showing a list of buyers and the fact that they're looking in their area. Uh, that's got to be impressive.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we do. And it's, you know, it's the evolution of 15 years ago or you know 13 years ago was the free over the phone home evaluation. Then it was the free over the net home evaluations. But that's really what people are still interested in. They just like the anonymity of it. But then when they get done, as they go through, hey, you know, are you interested finding out what, what your home would sell for in today's market? It's really what they want. They want to know they don't they don't want to they don't want you as their agent to sell their home they just want their home sold <laughs> you know they want the end result
0: if they take that next step and they want to get the value of their home in today's market, what do they do at that point? They've already entered some of their information right they've already entered their address at that point is that where you're requesting their name and phone number
1: no we've already we've already requested that right before for them to be able to get access to the information they get some Very, very, very preliminary information. Then you know, hey, if you want this whole report, fill your information out. And then it says we'll follow up and get get you that information. So, you know, we get their information. We contact them. Does a great job getting really, really high percentage of phone numbers and emails and, and so forth like that. And that's really how we're able to do that.
0: Ah. So just like the buyer's side, what you're doing to capture the information is you're giving them a taste of the pretzel. And when they come in, they're able to see some of the data about the cells in their neighborhood. But you've teased them with that. If they want more detail, at that point, they're going to have to register. They're going to have the forced registration where they have to give you all the information. And that is before they actually see the list of all the buyers in their area?
1: Yep. Uh Yes, it is.
0: And that just helps them go one step further.
1: Yeah, and and there's some people that will opt out and say, I don't want to do that or whatever, and that's fine. What I've found in this business is you really have to focus on the people that that want to do business with you, as opposed to the people that don't. If you're trying to sell everything to everybody, you're going to go broke. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to narrow down. And I just try and explain to people, it's like we're gold miners. You don't just go to a gold mine that has gold all over the walls, right? That you're you're sorting the gold from the gold. That just doesn't happen, right? You're so you're trying to find the gold in the dirt. So you're just trying to scrub through it as fast as you can. You're trying to be to the right place. And what marketing does is marketing essentially brings you to the gold mine, right? You still have some dirt. You still got to go through it, but almost everybody else that doesn't market or, or that doesn't cast a wide enough shadow, they're just randomly digging through dirt just in any dirt field, hoping that that's a gold mine. And it's discouraging. It's frustrating. It's hard to, you know, if you don't have some successes, if you don't find some gold, It's pretty discouraging. So there's never a perfect system, but these are ways to be able to get you in touch with buyers and sellers and and get you to be in front of people.
0: You mentioned you're also using Craigslist. What are you doing with Craigslist?
1: We did very, very well with it for probably the last three years or so, putting houses up there, putting our listings, getting agreements with other agents to be able to put their listings up there and vice versa and driving people back to the same strategy and, you know, it was, it was great because, you, you know, you had some virtual assistants or people in your office build a post and be able to do that and drive them back. But so many people have, have gone there that I don't think it's necessarily a great place. The buyer traffic has dropped dramatically there because there's just so much stuff on there. We still get a lot of leads and, and stuff, but not nearly what we did years ago. But we do have some different strategies. If we just did the same things what we did, we wouldn't be getting the same results, but You've got to drive them back to better squeeze pages. And then we actually, now we probably get as much results as anything at the bottom of our houses that we put there. we put links back to find the value of your home right now. So we're actually picking up seller leads from it. People that are looking for houses, but 35, 40% of all buyers have a home to sell. And that's really what we focused on for years is that the majority of our sellers would come from our buyers.
0: So the Craigslist is free. It just takes a lot of your time to continuously post. The pay-per-click is going to cost something. You've said you you try to get people to stay on your page longer and try to create a lot of relevance, all in the effort of getting your pay-per-click down. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what your your range of cost is on pay-per-click or an average pay-per-click when you're working on either the buyer or the seller's side?
1: Oh, yeah. I know exactly what they are. I mean, as far as, what the cost per lead is or the cost per clicks.
0: Let's talk about both. That sounds great. Yeah, what's the, what's the cost per click and then the cost per lead, say, on the buyer side?
1: Well, our, our market here in Arizona, we've got more, just came out in Bloomberg just recently, we've got more licensed real estate agents here than any other state, any other metro place per capita. So a, a lot of them come in, jump, throw money into the internet and, and so forth like that. So it's pretty competitive. Compared to other markets, I handle I handle PPC for probably about 50 other clients across the country and, and so forth like that. So ours is one of the highest, probably the third highest I know of that, that I handle. And, and it's just, you know, cost per click is pretty deceiving because, you know, there's a lot of – we do a lot of long-tail keywords that we can get rel- relatively cheaply, but the conversions just aren't as good. So on the buyer side, I, you know, used to buy leads from – different companies they were the most of the leads were somewhere in the 20 to 40 50 range on, for buyers in most cases i can get it down to 7 to in some markets 11 12 dollars or so on the buyer side over time on the seller side with these strategies we're actually able to get it quite a bit cheaper so i would say 10 dollars or cheaper on the seller side for per per lead which is which is fantastic
0: The cost per click, you're not as concerned about. You're focusing your efforts on how can I get that cost per lead down.
1: Yeah, I mean, we definitely focus. I mean, obviously, cost per click, a lot of people, you know, can kind of get freaked out about. If you're paying three fifty four bucks and someone clicks on it and clicks right back, I mean, there goes your lunch, right? But always just, you know, really focused on the the cost per lead, and it's over, you know, a longer period of time. So, yeah, that's the that's the bigger issue to me. And over time, it gets better and better. So that's the good thing is the longer you do it, you start, you start working with the campaigns. You start figuring out what works and what doesn't in each individual market and getting rid, of, getting rid of the bad stuff. So your costs progressively, like on mine, on my seller stuff, I mean, I've got it from seller stuff. I started out, it was about 25 bucks a lead initially, and now it's down to $455 a lead, you know, which is pretty much unheard of.
0: And that's because you're constantly testing, experimenting, tweaking, seeing what's, gonna, what's working and what's not working. You mentioned you had those 25 to 125 different variations on an ad. You're constantly trying to make that a little better, yes?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I'm probably a little bit too – I love to test. I love you know, multivariants and checking different things. And, and it doesn't have to be that complex, but you do have to get in the game. You've got to either have somebody do it or you've got to get really good at it because that's the, the future. If I, was, if I was the best agent in the world and you were the worst, but you were a much better marketer than I was, you'd be in business and I'd be out of business. And that's, I mean, it's not that that's great in real estate because you wish there was more really, really good people that cared about them. But it's just from a marketing perspective, for whatever reason in real estate school, they tend to try and get you to believe that if you're just a good person or you mean well and you give good service, that you're going to survive in this business. But you know, 85% of the people are just going to blow out because they just are poor at marketing. And if you don't have anybody in front of you, this business can get really, really difficult. But if you've got people in front of you, it's so much fun. Let's do this. Let's
0: switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about radio ads. What are you doing with radio?
1: I've been uh, working with a guy, Matt Wagner for radio and television experts. And he's a great guy. Been working with him for probably, I'm going to say maybe six years or so, six or seven years. And he does a lot of the media buys and we work together. We've got endorsements with Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck, John Cash, some other different people and, and adding more all the time. And it just gives you that credibility. They're building their brand all the time, every day on the radio and TV And they build a following, and when they say, "Hey, use Curtis to sell my house," that's who I would use. It comes with that endorsement. Those are just some of the best, best leads. It's pretty expensive, especially in our market. It's pretty expensive, but they're some of the best ROI. But most people get freaked out, you know, over the costs and different things like that. And you've got to have the message correct and the, I guess the the schedule, the right part of the day, part and stuff like that. But once you get that dialed in some of the best high-end listings and high-end buyers out there are going to respond to radio just from the demographics of it.
0: Sounds like you're generating a lot of seller leads off of the radio.
1: Yeah, you're probably going to have 80-20 sellers versus buyers off the radio. Most radio ads are not going to pull buyers because they're mostly going to go to the internet, but sellers, sellers are going to come off the radio.
0: How many radio stations are you advertising at this point?
1: Right now we've narrowed it down to just one or two. Right now we'll probably be expanding. We found radio talk works better than most everything else and uh, there's a couple big ones here in our area, but we're we're pretty comfortable with that with that right now. We probably we might move into some sports talk radio, but so far we haven't jumped on that yet.
0: Mainly you've been doing these endorsed ads. They've all been written up by Matt Wagner and his group. Do you speak during the ad?
1: I've done both, you know, I've done some interactive spots, but they typically don't, don't do as good as just the endorser, uh, which I'm comfortable with. I'm happier that way, actually.
0: How about just some big picture metrics? How much are you spending on it and how much is it bringing in?
1: I've done anywhere between $5,000 and $30,000 in a month. I've made money with all of it. So most of it is more dependent on the group of people you've got on your team their ability to be able to convert it, and the need for new clients and, and so forth like that. Typically, we'll get about a three-to-one return ROI on, on the radio stuff. One of the unsung things, I guess, about radio, though, is it makes everything else better. So even if someone finds you on the Internet or they just meet, it gives you incredible credibility, whether you're recruiting agents to your team, whether you're whatever it is, it makes all of your other marketing better so even if the tracking directly back to radio becomes a little bit problematic or you're like, oh, well, that's a good return, but maybe I'll get a better return here, it makes everything else better and it increases your ROI on everything else you're doing.
0: You're also generating a lot of business from past clients and sphere of influence. Let's talk a little bit about that. Can you tell us how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence?
1: Well, I'd say probably of all the things I do well, that's not one of them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just so I'm you know I do pretty poor at a lot of different things and and keeping up with past clients you know we've got coming up on about three thousand past clients and we do a very poor job you know I'm kind of in it for the hunt I'm always after the next deal and and I know I've gone through all the numbers I get it all the you know there's more deals in your past database and stuff like that it's just something I just haven't done very well at we do really really good at generating referrals and like that during the transaction as it's going on in escrow and we do a fantastic job with that but past clients we do a pretty poor job with so i guess that's uh that's for this next year to kind of pick it up and do a better job with that
0: tell us about your team
1: i've had a team for probably about the 12 of the 14 years or so i've been in in business still have the same buyer agent i had back then he went off and and came back and i just moved him into working as a recruiter. Because like I said, one of the things I'm really passionate about is lead generation and some of the benefits that come with that. And so we've had to, you know, one of the challenges I've had over the years is I haven't really wanted to grow. I've been pretty comfortable with the size of our team. And sometimes I've wanted to grow, but then I kind of mostly my worst enemy with that and get frustrated with it. And every person you hire is kind of a, they come with their own issues and things like that. But I'm able to generate so many more leads that I really want people that want to work them. And so we really said, hey, let's, let's go. Let's, let's build this and let's grow and bring on some more people. So that's really what we're doing. That's what we've, we've started to grow over the last few months. We've gone from about 10, 12 buyer agents. We've just really brought on a bunch more that are getting up and going, and we're up to about 25 or so. And I think by the end of the year, I, I bet within the next six months, we'll get to probably 50. And so I'm looking for obviously corresponding results over the next 12 to 18 months with that as well as they kind of get up and and growing. I've got so, several admins, some virtual assistants, and I handle most of the lead generation and marketing, and that's kind of how we have it set up.
0: If I were to look at the big picture of your team, you you have a, an administrative staff with some virtual assistants. Your buyer agents, really, it sounds to me like you're having them do both buy and sell side. In fact, do you even call them buyer agents? What's the the label that you use for those folks?
1: I'd say about half of them. It's mostly skills-based. So if they've got good enough skills and they sign off and they do presentation, if I would sign with them, then I'll let them do listings. But everyone starts out as a buyer agent and about half of them can do can do both buyers and sellers. And if they are a buyer agent then they can, if they convert a a lead into a listing, you know, they can either just work with someone else or turn it over to them, have somebody else work it or or anything else like that. So about half of them just work with buyers and half can do both. And I've gone back and forth between having strictly buyer agents and strictly listing agents. And, you know, and I I understand the, the complexities on both and, and the benefits, and there's definitely some benefits by doing that. But one of the things I found was you find what you look for. And sometimes buyer agents would just never even ask, hey, you know, do you, do you have a home to sell or anything else like that? So I found that one of the trade-offs is by letting some buyer agents work listings as well, they'll be looking for them. And so we don't leave as many listings that just go unasked for or anything else like that.
0: How are you compensating these agents? Are you paying a salary? Are you paying a commission split?
1: Yeah, it's a commission split. You know, I've looked at the, the salary and I've got some good friends that are doing that and that might be something we we, we try a few of those in the future. But right now, everybody's just on a, on a commission split.
0: How have you structured that?
1: Commission split? It, some of it depends on their production. If they're doing less than 12 a year, 12 to 24, 24, or above. And then also, we give them a little bit of a bump up, about 10% if they bring in the lead themselves as opposed to just a company generated. So, we try and give them incentives. We want people that want to sell a lot of houses. We want people that can turn leads into more leads and, and that aren't just dependent on the team. We want them to be able to do that, but we want them to also try to look to work their sphere as well.
0: So, what's the commission split if someone's selling less than 12 homes a year?
1: You know, there's some complexities in that because we've got some different fees. We've got our transaction compliance if you know, we're closing it out and some different stuff. But for the most part, we're pretty competitive. Our splits are going to be from 45% net out to the agent to as much as maybe 60. Uh, if they're a really, really high producer and they bring in the deal and so forth like that, it can go as high as maybe like 65% net at, at the end of the day.
0: Do they receive the same commission split if they're working the seller side or the buyer side, or is there a different split if they're working, say, the seller side?
1: No, it's not quite as good. No, we obviously have more costs on the seller side, and so no, it's it's not the same. Uh, It's still pretty competitive, but not quite the same, just a little bit below that.
0: Would you mind sharing with us what that range is on the sell side? If the buyer side is around 45%, what's a seller side?
1: I guess it's more difficult because it's not just strictly across the board. There's other variables as far as what other types of things they did with it, how much of the transaction they handled, and, and so forth. But it's probably most people are going to be probably in the 35 to 50%, which on listings is really, really good. Could be a little bit more than that in some situations if they're selling an awful lot of houses. But we, we probably pay we, we definitely pay too much on the listing side compared to if you were going to model it out but at the same point, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. I'm pretty comfortable. We're still making money with that.
0: Yeah, I just want to give people perspective. If they're going to bring in a, a listing partner or a seller side agent, that they're probably not going to want to pay as high as a buyer agent because, as you mentioned, there's there's more cost involved, more hard cost to get that listing sold. Also, less time involved.
1: Yeah, exactly. It just depends on if they're handling more of it or if our admin's handling more of it. And, you know, you're you're probably it's probably smarter to keep it somewhere between 20 and 30. I've probably had the lowest splits in the industry, probably closer to 20%. And we've tested some really, really high splits. You know, I just love to test stuff. I love to see what works and what doesn't. And it typically doesn't matter that much. It's just the only thing that really matters that much is they'll typically do whatever it's going to take to make them the same amount of money. So if someone's used to making 60 or 70 grand, whether you pay them 20% or, or 70% split, they're typically going to do about the same to make that much money. That's It's kind of interesting as, as you go through that. And that's that's just what my experience has been. People will typically make what they're just comfortable making.
0: Can you tell me some of the positions in your admin department and what they're doing?
1: You know, like I said, just move someone over to do some recruiting as we're, as we're growing. Got a transaction coordinator. She does most handles most of the transactions. If we're closing 25, 30 a month, she does most of those. I've got operations manager in there. And he he helps with that as well. We've been able to shed a little bit of staff. We used to have one point we had 150 different short sales that we were working as they were stuck in the process. And that took a lot of man hours. And we had three or four different staff people that we had for that. Now we've just pretty much got one person doing that as well as helping out with some of the other stuff. And then I've got someone that works mostly training, helping the agents trying to get on making sure that they're being profitable and, and stuff like that. And then I've also got uh, two or three different virtual assistants it's doing uh, Craigslist stuff to taking some of our listings and, and marketing all over the Internet to updating listing codes, just doing a lot of, you know, making the flyers and just a lot of other different odds and ends that I don't need to have someone necessarily in the office right here doing it.
0: Tell Just real briefly about the recruiter. You said that this was your first buyer agent. You've turned them into a recruiter. What is their job? What what are they doing and how are they getting compensated?
1: It's pretty early in the process. So we're only about a month or two into that. So I guess that's one of those testing things, right? So I've never done this before. I've never done anything, but I said, you know, okay, what do I want to do? I want to attract more winners, right? I want to attract people that want to sell, that want to sell multiple houses a month. So I thought, well, what's the best way to be able to do that? And it would be to open up someone's time and be able to focus on on doing that. So I'd say 70% of his time right now is just focused on, you know, I try and drive a lot of leads of people that are looking to join our team through Craigslist. Craigslist has been really great for that, through some other email advertising, some other postcards and different stuff of agents here in the area, and then doing interviews and having that interview the interview process, multiple interviews to see if we're a good fit and if they're a good fit throughout that. And then once they come on board, kind of going through, we've got kind of an initial 30 or 40 or 50 hours of initial training before anybody gets any leads with our team as they kind of get up and learn our system and get up to speed on, on everything. So kind of helping hold their hand as they get through that. So that's mostly what it is right now.
0: You brought up an interesting point. It sounds like you have a, a ramp-up training program for all these people coming in. Could you describe it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to positioning for profits, the company I've got with Don that we started just going through and said, okay, what do you do with new agents on, and, you know, and this is years ago. We said, well, what do you, you know, what do you do with new agents? And and it would just be so frustrating to spend, in some cases, I would spend almost like five days with a new person that comes on and teach them everything, and then a couple times, oh, hey, you know what? I decided I'm not going to stay in real estate. Or, hey, I just, oh, my husband just got a job in Ohio. I got to go. Or whatever it is. And it's, you know, it's frustrating. You're like, I just spent a week doing this. And so I just said, well, as I'm doing this, I'm just going to start recording everything. And we started just going through. And he recorded some. And I recorded some. And we just went through and recorded everything that a new agent or someone joining our team would need to be able to kind of get up and going. And it would be really, really successful. And then it would be automated so that as they're going through, I can answer questions with it, but that it's a good way for me to show, hey, is this somebody I really want to invest thousands of dollars of leads into? How fast are they getting through this 50 hours of training? How fast are they doing that? And if they can't do that, they're probably going to struggle with almost everything else as well. So it's a way for me to see how they're doing. They can show me how hard they're working and pushing through it. And then at the end of it, I've got someone that at least has forgotten a lot of their old bad habits and is a lot closer to understanding what we're doing and then we can really start to mold that person. So that's really what we have them do is going through that process.
0: As you're bringing these people in, are you looking for experienced or inexperienced agents?
1: My perfect world would be someone that has been in the business for probably three or four months. They've burned through a bunch of money testing and trying different things and realized how difficult it is and that now is somewhat humble to be able to do it. Direct out of real estate school almost everybody comes out bulletproof and thinking that this is going to be simple and leads are just going to pop out of their ears and that they're going to go out and take the world by storm. And at about that sweet spot, well, if they've been in the business for a few years, I still have some good success with it, but so often at least half the time, they've got so many hang-ups and so many beliefs about real estate of, well, this is what it is or they're just not, most of them just aren't coachable, which is kind of a, a, Tough place to be. So that would probably be my sweet spot if I had to if I had to pick my ideal person. But it, even bigger than anything else, it's just the attitude though. If they've got a good attitude, if they're willing to learn, I can work with them.
0: I've been getting a sense as we've been talking that you have kind of a different structure on your fees. You're not just charging a commission to buy or sell a home. Is that true or do you have different fees? Uh, yeah. Could you give us kind of an outline? So let's start with the seller side. You know, just basically what kind of, again, I'm not looking for percentages and stuff, but you're charging more than just a commission. What kind of fees are you charging and and for what?
1: Well, it depends. I mean, so on sellers, we've got our startup fee, we've got our commission, and we've got our transaction and compliance. So typically, and once again, this is our, our basic fees, and then we have to look at every situation and see what it is, but our typical... Seller fees, our startup fees for us to go to work, for us to start our initial marketing, take them on as a client because if we say yes to them, we have to say no to somebody else because we only have a limited number of spots that we can take on as clients. So, clients will take them on, they write a check, a startup fee of $3,289. Then, our fee, depending on which option they do, is going to be somewhere, you know, typically our fees or our commission fees are typically higher than everybody else's. And then we typically have a transaction compliance fee of anywhere between $684 and $984 at the end to make sure everything goes right, handle our staffing, and making sure that they get extra attention throughout that process to give them the highest likelihood of that closing with the least amount of problems with it.
0: The startup fee is that fee applied towards the commission? No, it doesn't. And is it a refundable
1: fee? it's a startup fee. It's for us to go to work for them, right? So they retain our services. We go, we do our initial marketing. We do our initial pricing of the house. We do our initial review of the property. We give them our advice because that's really what people are, are hiring us for, right? Our advice and advice isn't free. I mean, when's the last good free advice you got? I don't, I can't remember any. <laughs> and the good thing about real estate is it's, you know, it's a, it's a federal crime to price fix. And so if someone tells you, oh, well, that's high or that's low or whatever, you know, that's a federal crime. You know, you're, you're allowed to charge just like there isn't a price. You know, how much is a car? Well, what kind of car do you want? Well, okay, it's the same thing. How much is an agent? Well, it depends. What kind of agent? If you want to hire us, this is what we charge. So, you know, I think obviously so many agents, if they don't have a value proposition, their first thing they do is they, they drop their fees, Right. Because all things being equal, people will hire you based on your fee. But if all things are not equal, then they're going to hire the, the most qualified, the person that's going to net them the most money. And that's really the conversation we have with people. Are you most concerned about the commission fee that that you're looking at on paper, or are you more concerned about how much money you're going to put in your pocket at the end of the day? We're looking for clients that want to net the most money. There's always somebody that's got hang-ups about commission percentage, or someone will do it lower. But you know, there's always someone that will do it lower. We've got people in our market... We'll do listings for $25. So you've got to make a decision. Is that what you want to compete with, or do you want to compete on bringing value?
0: You said the commission in the area, you had multiple options. How many options or packages do you have in that area?
1: Typically two or three.
0: I'm trying to get a picture of your overall business. You've got got this interesting fee structure. You also have a lot of people running around. So agents are going to be listening to us. And they're going to be asking the question, are you profitable?
1: Yeah. We're not as profitable as if you're a single agent, you got to keep most of it, you know, minus your overhead and marketing and everything else like that. So I'm a non-competing team member. I, I run everything like a business and we're, we're over 20% profitability. We're over, over, you know, we shoot for 25, 26%, which is, which is good. I don't do any deals at all. Um, and all the things that we're doing, I'm pretty comfortable in that range. I know a lot of people talk about if you're, quote, seventh level, you're not really involved or doing that, you should be closer to 30 or 40%. I just don't necessarily agree. I know the people that are, when they're serious about their numbers, you know, I think we're in a pretty good spot with with that.
0: Your net is somewhere around 20% of the gross money that comes in the top for running the operation.
1: Somewhere between 20, 25% just depends on there's a lot of different variables with it, and and so forth in that. And if it ever got below 20, that would be a concern. I tend to I tend to test so much. I think if we got over 25, I should to probably take some of that money and start doing more stuff with it. You know, but when you're talking about two three million dollars in GCI, it still still does okay. I still I still got to put gas in my tank. You know, and I still got to do what I really enjoy from a business standpoint. And most people in real estate not very accurate with their numbers to begin with anyway. So,
0: I don't know any Fortune 500 companies that can claim a 20% net profit margin, so it's pretty good.
1: I'm mostly just trying to look at what is the biggest number I can get to come out at the end. The percent to me is, yeah, it's, it's not really a big deal to me. You know, Obviously, there's a lot of things I could do to get it up to... 40, 50, 60. I could go in, I could do the appointments. I could just have one person do all the listing appointment. I could you know, there's a lot of different things. If your main concern is how do I get most the most percent of profitability, and I know that's probably the majority of people in real estate, that's what they really get hung up on. I just don't. I just see this as a business. Like if I ran a car dealership or or you know sold boats or anything else like that. I'm just looking, are we profitable? Can we get money coming out? is this something consistent? Whether it's a good market or a bad market, this is just a choice I make. If you wanted to still be involved and sell, yeah, I mean, you can get this closer to 40%, 50%. Not real difficult to be able to do it. I just It's just a match for my lifestyle and what I'm doing, and I run other businesses, so its I'm pretty comfortable with it. Let's
0: talk about running some other businesses. I understand you're running a company called Positioning for Profits. Can you tell us about it?
1: Yeah, I mentioned just a little bit with my partner, Don Wenner, he's selling, he'll probably sell close to 800 houses this year. We'll sell 300 plus this year. But we, we've just been working on something for several years. We, you know, we're always working on lead generation and working on these different things. And uh, then, obviously, I, I would you know, explain to people about these videos and some of the money we were getting starting up. And everyone's like, well, hey, can I come to your office? Can I come watch? How do you guys do this? And so for some of my friends, I just videoed it, and they loved it, and they wanted to buy it, and so we did, made it a little bit better presentation and gave them all the information, our contracts, everything we do. So we did that a few years ago, and obviously people wanted more stuff, and we get into lead generation, and we weren't exactly thrilled with the websites that we had from other companies. They were still doing good, but they didn't do exactly what we needed from a team leader standpoint, so we did like what every – crazy entrepreneur does, we say, well, it's not it's not out there. And so we said, well, then why don't you build it? And so that's what we kind of spent the last uh, couple of years building out a technology to be able to do a lot of the same things that we need in our businesses to help take someone from 30 deals a year to 300 or or 600. And, and so we try to put all those together, access all of our training, all the, mostly the technology and lead generation and all the stuff like that. So yeah, and that's what positioning for profits is kind of all about. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. I probably spend most of my time doing that because it's just so fun to generate leads and, and I enjoy it. Sounds like
0: positioning for profits. What you're doing there is you're showing a business model. First of all, going back to your reference to the E-Myth and Michael Gerber, you're, you're showing your business model so other people can copy it and then part of that business model is the lead generation and the lead follow up lead management side. And then you also have this training aspect on the overall picture of the model that you've done through video. Does that sound correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. I drive around town and I see these little mom and pop restaurants pop up. And I had a friend that started started one. And I said, Well, why do not you just work with this other franchise thing? Why didn't you? He goes, Oh, well, because they wanted me to. Buy the cups from them and do this, and and I can get a better price over here. and And I just thought, man, you're just you're stepping over dollars to get to dimes, and eventually it just didn't work out that good. And I just look at this as so often, as real estate agents, we just we see these models and we just say, oh well, I can just do it myself, which you can, but there's also a cost to it. There's a time to learn all these things or to put these in place. And the smartest thing I did was. You know, you weren't around at that point, but was listening to you know, Howard Britton and going to hiring the best coaches and traveling the world, trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. And, and I think the more you can do that and model the behaviors of people that you want, because I don't think most people should have a business like, like me. You know, not everybody wants that. Most people want to just sell or they might want a couple team members and that's fine. But figure out what model you want and then find somebody that's doing that out of all your interviews and so forth and and model their behavior, model that. And a lot of people that we came across wanted, you know, they they said they wanted to have big businesses and they wanted to be able to make millions of dollars and be able to do this. And we know the strategies that work and how to do that. And so we just let them, if they want, just model what we're doing. We just try and put it together. And that's how almost any person gets good at anything, is they just model other people. And that's really what we're trying to put together. Tell
0: me if I'm wrong here, but I kind of got the impression that, you and Don, on a personal level, were already doing this. You were kind of creating experiments, and you were showing each other your models, and you kind of developed uh, your internal systems first, and then from that kind of sprung this idea of putting it out there for more people. Is that true?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So he, he started, I think he was 22, I think he's like 27 or 28 now, but he went from almost nothing because he modeled some of the things I was doing and some of the other people that he he showed that you can go from almost zero to a hundred sides and almost overnight, you don't have to go through the same pain points. You don't have to go through that. And so we've been good friends from the get go and he's just sharp. And we've just been working on a lot of different stuff. And that's kind of how it came Is a lot of people go to him and say, Oh my gosh, you're so young. Or, you know, I used to be young. I was on the 30 under 30 and <laughs> I guess now I need the 40 under 40 or something like that. But I used to be kind of young and, and doing amazing things and now he's young and doing amazing things and people just want to see that and they want to see how do you do that and so we just, it, it just takes too long to do it on a one-on-one basis like that but as we're already t- teaching our team so they essentially get to see exactly how we're training our team, how we're doing everything so it's not like made up stuff, it's not theory, it's stuff that we use every day. You know, we eat our own dog food, We we do this stuff, this is exactly what we're doing. So many people out there are teaching, well, this worked in 1980 or this here, I, I think this might work. This isn't theory. This is just stuff we're already doing, right? This is what works.
0: If somebody wanted to tap into that, where would they go to find more information about positioning for profits?
1: They can go to just positioning the number 4 profitscom You can go to positioning the number 4 and then profits.com and they can just opt in and see what we're up to and get a ton of free information and free demos and see everything we're doing. And, you know, like I said, it's not right for everybody. Just like in your real estate business, if you're everything to everybody, you're nobody to everybody. We're just looking for people that are up and comers that want to sell a lot of stuff and that they're not just looking for the new shiny object, but they want to build systems into their business so that they can actually have a business, not just a job. Curtis,
0: what drives you?
1: I'd say a a lot of things. I love... I love to be around winners. I love to be around people that push themselves. I love to learn. And the thing with learning is you fail a lot. I learn by trying stuff and getting my hand burned or whatever, but it's kind of cool when you find stuff that works. So I'm just passionate about learning. I'm passionate about trying to find things that work. And especially in this business, I think the, the bar is so unbelievably low as an industry I want to raise it. I want to raise the professionalism. I want to raise the quality, the skill of real estate agents out there. And that's one of the things that really pushes me to try and improve a little bit.
0: Curtis, you've been doing this a while. You have a, a lot of success. Why are you successful?
1: I'm definitely successful because of the people I surround myself with. Every once in a while, I have some pretty good ideas, but I just surround myself with better people or people that want to improve and want to be better than me in every area I can. When I learn from people that are smarter than me, I learn from people that have done it and I just model their behavior. If I had to come up with everything from scratch, I think, you know, I come up with some good ideas here and there, but it's about being around people that push you to be your best. And it's about learning from people that have gone before you and modeled. You don't get a bonus by making it painful. You don't get a bonus by doing it the hard way.
0: If you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first?
1: The very first thing you need to do is decide what your end looks like. I know it seems kind of crazy when you're just starting out, but you've got to decide, do you just want to sell? Do you want a team? Is this a hobby or do you want to make a, a boatload of money? Because there's different strategies for different things. And then when you decide pretty close, and you'll be changing your mind a lot as you go through, but as you decide what you want, okay, is this, I want to make... Because there's a different model from making 50000 as there is from 500000 The boat looks different. You're going to different direction. So once you've got that clear about what you're doing, then I'd find somebody that's, that's doing that and then find out how they got there and just model exactly what they're doing and, and don't overcomplicate it.
0: Do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable?
1: Uh, unbelievably so. Unbelievably so. I used to just wait for Howard Britton's. CDs to come and go through those. And I drive all over town, all over the country to find out where the smart people are going to be, how can they do it? And now it's just so much easier. It's almost, it's almost too easy because you could just sit and listen to it wherever you want. And it's, you know, it's just very easy. And that sometimes we don't maybe pay attention or we don't give it as much impact because it's so easy where if you have to struggle a little bit, have to get on a plane or you have to go somewhere, you're much more likely to pay attention to it. So it's the same information. It's actually easier and better because you can fast-forward, rewind, and kind of go back and listen to stuff and see it, but that's what it's all about. When you go to the title company at the end of the day and you get your check or, or whatever, they don't give you a bonus because it was an original idea on how you found it. You know, you, There's no original idea. It's about how can you package it and how can you learn from other people and there's people doing so much better than I am and so much better than you and everybody, and we just have to search out those people and find what nuggets we can do and how can we tweak it and how can we make our, ourselves better and our business better. Curtis,
0: I've come to the end of my questions for today. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about that I haven't addressed?
1: No, you're, you're great. You just dig and dig and challenge me and make me think harder on, on a lot of stuff, so I appreciate it and had a, had a lot of fun, and I just really encourage people just to, just to model Find someone that's doing what you want and model model what they're doing. You're going to get the same results. People are, are not at the top or whatever if you think they are because of their sparkling personality. It's because of the systems they put in their business. And the systems come because they modeled somebody else that had those systems. So this business, when it really comes down to it, is really, it, it's actually very easy. And sales is pretty easy if you've got the right things in place for it. So uh, it's been a lot of fun, Mike. I appreciate it, man.
0: Well, Curtis, you opened our eyes to new ideas. Your model of the non-competitive team leader who focuses exclusively on lead generation is paying big dividends. Your ability to generate seller leads from the internet is rare and exciting. Your rapid growth by doubling and possibly tripling your team is aggressive and ambitious. Your love of testing, experimenting, learning, and your willingness to fail is creating amazing insights and opportunities. I think your brightest days are ahead of you. Thank you again for being our Top Agent of the Month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 304 homes last year while staying involved in community service. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
1: You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.